Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer, one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. And as we begin this particular episode, we see Jesus retiring from Jerusalem to Perea. And we find that in John chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. This is what it says. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him there. After the events during the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, Jesus crossed the Jordan River, beyond the Jordan River, and entered into the region of Perea. If we understand John chapter 1 and verse 28 to be discussing the initial site of John's baptizing, then Jesus traveled to northern Perea to the region around Bethabara. Some contend that Bethabara was referring to Bethany beyond Jordan, in which case it was directly across the Jordan from Jericho. In any case, Jesus remained active there teaching the people. John the Baptist had worked in this region, and it is apparent that the people remembered John. While John worked no miracles himself, his work of preparing the way of the Lord was most effective, for the people recognized that all John had spoken concerning Jesus, the one who was to come after him, was true. With Jesus in their midst, teaching and working, many believed on him. This was quite a contrast to those in Jerusalem who had sought once again to take him and kill him. Notice that it says, many believed in him there, immediately following the testimony that was made concerning Jesus. Many came and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. That's eyewitness testimony of the things that John uh, John said, and they observed the the signs that Jesus performed, and they provided that testimony. And it was for some of these believers, based on that testimony, that they believed, because not everyone got to see the miracles and signs that Jesus performed. And of course, Jesus pronounced a blessing upon those who believed not having seen for themselves. What a great privilege it is to be able to say and to offer that testimony uh, on behalf of Jesus. We'll move forward in our discussion of the life of Christ and his time in Perea and some discussions that he had in the region of Perea. And it's found in Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 35. That's Luke chapter 13, Verses 22 through 35. And Jacob, you want to read those? Yes. He was passing through one city and village after another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. 
Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin standing outside knocking on the door, saying, Lord, open to us. And he will then answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin saying, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And yet he will say, I do not know where you are from. Leave me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south, and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. At that very time, some Pharisees approached, saying to him, Go away and leave this place, because Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I am casting out demons, and performing healings today and tomorrow, and on the third day I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must go on my journey today and tomorrow and the next day, for, not could, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who have been sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her young under her wings, and yet you were unwilling. Behold, your house is left to you desolate, and I say to you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. If Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, if Jesus had traveled to northern Perea, to the region around Bethabara, as it appears that he did, then the statement of verse 22 describes kind of the, kind of the leisurely character of this ministry in Perea. What Jesus is doing is gradually working his way through the region as he makes his way back to Jerusalem and ultimately the cross. In one of the cities of Berea, Jesus was asked, Lord, are there few that be saved? We do not know if the one asking the question was a disciple or just someone there listening at the time, friend or foe, I don't know. We do know that among the Jews of that time there were many different theories concerning salvation. Some schools of thought said that every Israelite would be saved. Others said that very few would be saved, as when, of all the adults that came out of Egypt, only two entered into Canaan. It seems obvious that the man had the Jews in mind. Jesus would take it much further in his answer. Yeah, looking at the uh, pronouns that are used here, it does seem like a very direct, specific answer when he he doesn't speak of them and they who on that day have a door shut in their face, but he warned of you, uh, plural, uh, you Jews, uh, who were going to be surprised at his coming. Interesting that he says, strive to enter for many will seek and not be able, when Jesus has promised uh, that all who seek or, or uh, uh, knock will find and have the door opened to them. It's important we understand that the, uh, that the seeking to enter in verse 24 has reference to uh, seeking to enter after it is too late. So it is those who will uh, have the door closed uh, before them. I don't think that it's served us well in our lives uh, to have constantly been given uh been trained to teach that there's always going to be a second chance, you know, and a third chance. You know, in school, teachers teach us this when they constantly allow late work 
when they reward students with um, multiple makeup test opportunities. I think it's just served to teach, look, there's always going to be some outlet for you to, uh, to, to fix this. I think we need to understand that there are some things in life, and especially at the end of life, where there just is no second chance to this. There will be a time when the door is shut, and it's described as a very terrifying day. Yeah, that, that door being shut, I think it's just um, fascinating as I try to remember what was what I was thinking about um, here that, um, well, I'm sorry, I just completely forgot my thoughts, so maybe I'll come okay. to later. I can understand that. I, while, while Ross, while you were speaking about the teacher at school giving the kids many, many breaks, mm-hmm. I was thinking and wishing, boy... I hope my grandson is listening to this particular <laughs> program. But at any rate, uh, we find strive to enter in at the straight gate. That's how Jesus begins his response. And I thought it's interesting because the word strive literally means to agonize. It is the word used to describe the effort put forth by athletes in the Grecian games. They strove. They agonized expending every ounce of energy they had to win. That's the idea here. And the verb is present tense, expressing continued action. In other words, keep on striving to enter. Strain every nerve in trying to enter. And the word straight means pent up, narrow, difficult to enter. Here it means that the way to heaven is pent up, narrow, and is not easily entered. The way to death is open, broad, and thronged with people. Jesus was using the familiar cities of their time. The cities were surrounded by walls and entered through gates. Some of those gates were very large, broad and wide, admitting a whole multitude of people at one time. But others were not so large, admitting only a few people at a time. That is to what Jesus compared the path to heaven. It is narrow, with few on it. To walk the broad path was easy and required no special effort, but that is not so if one wants to walk in the straight path that leads to heaven. That requires effort, and it is not entered into without diligence. When Jesus said, Many I say to you will seek to enter in and shall not be able, he was not saying that those who diligently trying to enter would not be able to do it. He was speaking of those who put off trying until it was too late. His illustration shows that this was his meaning. We know how important hospitality was to the Jewish people. The illustration is of a man who opens his house to his friends at the proper time and welcomes them. But there is a time when he must shut the doors, and to seek entrance then would be vain and improper. Those who did so would not get in. Notice how superficial the objection is of those who had the door shut in their faces. Uh, The evidence of their superficial relationship with God is seen in, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. I mean, that that just testifies against them. That's all the more they have to say about their relationship with God. They enjoyed a meal together, and and they listened to Jesus' preaching. if you, what, if you were to hear those words, depart from me, 
and you're a true Christian, you'd be saying, "But, but Lord, did I not, did I not agonize over Your Word? Did I not pray to You? Did did I not try to teach these things?" Now, just think of your relationship to God and, and how much it's meant to you, and how you've agonized over it. Of course, those who who do such things are not going to hear those words. But the fact that this is all they have to say for their relationship, I think should cause each of us to say, well, what do I have to say about how I have uh, striven and agonized over my relationship with God? Have I been working out my salvation with fear and trembling? Yeah, it made me think of kind of an illustration of whether it's like going to a play or going to an opera, that once the door is closed, they don't tend to let people in there because they don't want to disrupt the performance. But until then, until the doors close, you're able to come in. And I think that um, maybe it's, it's obviously Jesus' illustration is better than anything I could come up with. But I think another way to look at it there and that until the doors close, you can get in regardless if you showed up um, early. Maybe you started your relationship with Christ um, early in your life or perhaps you're um, later in your life in, in years you can start. It doesn't matter the the past. Um, doesn't matter the mistakes. God is a forgiving God and willing to forgive you. The danger for us, though, is we don't know when that last day is coming. Whether it's the the day of judgment, whether it's the day at the end of our tombstone. Um, but so that's why we have to start right now because that's what we have and are able to to do and enter this door and enter this relationship with Jesus before it's too late. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when the wicked see the righteous entering into the kingdom of God. Why mention Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Because as the forefathers of the Jewish race and some of its most famous representatives, they are mentioned along with all the prophets to show that the faithful Jews would be saved. At the same time, faithful Gentiles, they that shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south, would also be saved. However, some of the Jews, indeed the majority, who were first in terms of the opportunity to hear God's word about Jesus and to obey, would be last by virtue of their failure to make the most of their opportunities. I think verses 31 and 32 are pretty interesting. Whether the Pharisees came of their own accord or were sent by Herod, we do not know. Whether Herod actually made such a threat or they simply perceived that he might, we do not know. If it was a real danger or the Pharisees were simply using this as an excuse to get rid of Jesus, we do not know. But there does appear to be a certain probability about what they were saying. Herod killed John, a troublesome religious leader as far as he was concerned. It is probable that Herod wanted to rid himself of another spiritual troublemaker, one with a larger following than even John had had, and avoid any problems similar to the ones that he had with John. The Pharisees would certainly have been glad to pass along the threat. Perhaps it would disturb the ministry of Jesus and frighten off some of his disciples. But boy, it did not work. And the fact that Jesus called Herod Herod a fox, emblematic of cunning and treachery, indicates that sending the Pharisees had been Herod's way of trying to trick Jesus into leaving his territory. Yeah, I think it's it's no uh, mystery uh, or secret that Jesus is not a big fan of Herod. I think it is remarkable the restraint that calling him a fox 
exemplifies. I mean, I mean we think about with our own feelings about political leaders sometimes, uh, we need to also be careful not to uh, fall into slander and that sort of thing. If Jesus, knowing that he had killed his good friend and relative, John the Baptist, he could have come up with a whole lot he wanted to say here, but he restrains himself with go and tell that fox. I think that's a good example. Secondly, just wanted to conclude this section by pointing out that what a sad fact it is that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, you and I know, to offer his life to save those who would believe in him, knowing, just as they ask, that there are few who are saved, but yet he remained committed to that task that just shows how how special those few are who will believe in him the meaning of the verses 34 and 35 which tell us O jerusalem jerusalem the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her how often i wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings but you were not willing see your house is left to you desolate and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I think the meaning there is the same as it is in Matthew 23. With this simple statement, Jesus kind of gives the history of Jerusalem. They had killed the prophets, yet God still sent his son to them, and they would kill him. There would be no more chances after Jesus. No one else was coming. You guys have anything else to add? Then that'll wrap up this particular episode. Again, as always, we appreciate you listening. I encourage you to contact us at www.nkcfc.com and we'd be happy to help you in any way that we can. Until then, then, thanks for listening. <laughs>